by way of introduction to our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians 13, 3 through 4, I want to read from Numbers 16. And those of you who know your Old Testament, you know this is the passage about Korah's rebellion, a terrifying act of God's wrath. Uh, I will not read the entire passage, uh, the entire chapter, but I want to at least give you the, 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 the crux of it, the beginning and the end of it. Here now the word of the Lord that comes to us from number 16. God says, and Noah writes, Now Korah took action, and they rose up before Moses together with the sum of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all this congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning, the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy. And I will bring him near to and, and uh, will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he chooses, he will bring near to himself. And he goes on to say, Therefore, you and your company speaking to Moses, speaking to Korah, Gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? And then picking back up at the bottom towards 28. Uh, Moses said, by this you shall know the Lord has sent me to, all these, to do all these deeds. And this is not my doing. If these men die in the death of all men. And if they suffer the fate of all men. Then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up, and that is theirs, and that they shall ascend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. As he finished speaking these words, the ground was under them, was split open, and the earth was opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. And so they all belonged to him, went down to Sheol, and the earth closed over them. They perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. It's pretty heavy stuff. There was a rebellion within the sense the visible church against God's appointed authority. And the author of Hebrews would have described this, it is a terrible thing to follow the hands of the living God. God punished this rebellion. And he did so in keeping with our Westminster Confession of Faith question about God being our king. What does he do? He subdues his enemies and ours. Very often we think of God subduing his enemies. We think of Pharaoh or Nero or Antiochus Epiphanes or, or some uh, foreign power that is persecuting Christians. But very often the enemies of God and your enemies are actually found within the visible church. And that is what the Apostle Paul has been battling almost since its inception when he planted the church of Corinth. And as we have journeyed through 1 Corinthians and we're now getting to the end of 2 Corinthians, uh, what we're going to see here is that God is serious about protecting his ambassadors. And an insult or rebellion against God's ambassador, his called one, his appointed leadership, is an insult, a rebellion 
against God. The story of Korah reminds us of that. Now, in this passage today, we actually only have two, two verses within 2 Corinthians. And uh, so I'm going to pull in some more uh, Old Testament uh, illustrations because, you know, we're Presbyterian. We can't have a short sermon. Uh, and, uh, but, I, but it's going to be one of those kind of sober sermons. Uh, and it's important for us to, to keep in mind that God, while he is full of love and grace and joy, he is also a God who protects himself and his people uh, and he it will go so far as to open up the earth and swallow people alive. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would just bless us as we seek to understand this great, mighty, just, powerful God who subdues his enemies and ours. Lord, we do come to you and we ask God blessings upon your holy word. We pray, God, that you would show us uh, truth that we can apply to our own lives, God. Lord, it is our desire to walk in faithfulness, God, but we are just a mess. Uh, we are all uh, raised uh, in, uh, in, with a sin nature. Uh, we, many of us have been raised in uh, situations which have scarred us. Uh, we come before you this morning just recognizing the fact that we are misfits in so many ways. And yet, God, for those who were chosen, those who've been saved, those who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, those who uh, the blood of Christ has been applied to, we are saints. We are princes and princesses of the Most High King, adopted by the King of the universe. So we come before you with a desire to act more like princesses and princes than like the paupers that we used to be. Teach us from your holy word, we pray, on how to do that today. As we look to this issue of authority within the church and uh, the ambassadorship uh, uh, and uh, the great Lord that we serve. In Christ's name, amen. Again, we're going to look at just at two verses today. And what you find with Corinthians is, is kind of interesting. If you'll notice, many of the New Testament, the larger letters are all about the same size. And 2 Corinthians has 13 chapters. And uh, it's been, it, this may be conjecture, but it's been, uh, it's been thought that one reason why is the papyrus scrolls kind of came in certain sizes. And you kind of get that sense that Paul's been writing and he's been writing. And of course, he came with, he got this report from Titus. So he kind of changed the tone of his writing a little bit. And, and he's been, the last part, really having to defend his apostleship against these false teachers in Corinth that are rising up against him. And when they attack Paul, they're attacking the gospel. And he's getting to the end. And it's almost like he's looking at the end of the paper thinking, I'm about to run out of space. I just got to throw some quick kind of clauses down in there. So as we go through here, we're kind of breaking up 2 Corinthians chapter 13 into probably about six or seven different sermons here. So we're looking at just these two verses today. But if you would turn to your copy of God's Word, we do want you to always go along with us. It helps keep us accountable to make sure that we're not just making this up on the fly. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 3 through 4. God says, and the apostle writes, Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. And we're going to look basically at two components here. You might find your, out, uh, your home's helps uh, uh, insert as a benefit to you as we break down this passage. We're going to see the evidence of ambassadorship uh, is sought for by Paul in verse 3a, and then evidence of ambassadorship is provided in verses 3b through 3-4 uh, here. 
but basically, our, our desire here, the lesson that we want to learn here is, is to not be like the Corinthians, whose Paul is having to discipline and chastise, who were very much like Korah and his people, rising up against God's appointed authority here. And, pa and, and uh, Paul is kind of having to defend himself and defend the fact that he is an ambassador called by Christ uh, against these people, these usurpers who've come in and kind of ruined the Corinthian church. But, there's a, uh, and, but this, this idea of challenging authority is kind of an American idea too, right? I mean, you know, we just celebrated Fourth of July. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of in all of us. Sometimes it's legitimate. We'll talk about that. Sometimes it's not legitimate. You decide whether or not Fourth of July was legitimate or not. But, uh, but in, in church, it is often not legitimate. It's a power struggle. It's an attack. It's a, someone that the devil is using to, to be able to uh, ruin the message uh, of, of, the, uh, of the church officers and that sort of thing. And it's sourced... Of course, question authority was not something new to the Corinthians either. Back in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's command. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So this has been kind of a theme with the Corinthians, his misfit church. Uh, and uh, so we're going to kind of pick up on that whole thing. So here he starts off here saying, with evidence of his ambassadorship. He says, since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me, is the, because the false teachers keep saying, well, he's not really in speaking for Christ. He's not a real apostle. You know, he wasn't part of the, the, the crowd with, the, with Peter and Matthew and, and John and that kind of thing. And, and, and he's so weak and he's had so many problems. Surely God must not be blessing him. Look how wonderful we are. We are sophists. We have our act together. Look how eloquent we are. You know, Paul is not a super attractive person. We must be the ones that are really right. We package things so much better than he does. I don't know whatever their, whatever their lines were, but he conti they continue to attack him. And Paul is having to do something he hates to do. He's having to boast sometimes. He's having to defend himself. And one of the reasons why he hates to do this is he shouldn't have to. The Corinthians that he led to the Lord, the church that he planted should be rising up. Uh, to defend him. So he states here that he's coming to, uh, to Corinth for the purpose of church discipline uh, to punish and to excommunicate unrepentant people. Uh, Charles Hodge says this, since the evidence which he had already given them in word and deed had not satisfied them, he was about to give them proof which they would find difficult to resist. You know, at first time, the first time he came to Corinth, he came with the love of Christ and the gospel. He's coming, now he's coming with the judgment of God and the big stick. And he's going to start, as he said at one point in time, deliver people over to Satan, excommunicate them out of the church because of their rebellion. Again, we have an illustration of this, even from within Moses' own family with Miriam and Aaron in Numbers chapter 12. Uh, listen to this passage. And then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. That, Miriam didn't like her sister-in-law. Did, she didn't like her. And uh, spoke against Moses because of that. And they said, has the Lord agreed to speak only through Moses? Uh, has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard. And now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. To the three, and the three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. 
When they had come forth, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous and as white as snow. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not uh, account this sin on us in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. Or do not let her be like one of the dead whose flesh is half eaten away. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not bear shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and after she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move until Miriam was received again. So here again, you got a similar situation. They're rebelling against Moses, and they're like, How, hey, we're called of God too. Who's, why do you think you're Christ's special ambassador? And who comes to Moses' defense? <laughs> Yahweh shows up and says, I don't think they had predicted that, <laughs> shows up in a pillar and says, you know, I got these prophets and I value prophets, but Moses, I speak face to face. And there's no, no man on the earth more humble than him. You, you are messing with the apple of my eye. Our great king will, will subdue his enemies and ours. And he gave Miriam leprosy. Now, leprosy is not curable, but God cured it. He gave it to her for seven days to kind of teach her the lesson. She got put out in the woodshed for seven days with leprosy, okay, which is, of course, is a, an embarrassing uh, disease to have, and you're, 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 you're unholy and things like that. So you got another situation here where God comes through with a, with a, a rebellion from within the church when the Moses' uh, authority uh, ha has been challenged. And Moses knows these stories. Moses knows Korah. He was raised on the story of Miriam. And he's looking at Corinth. He says, if they don't repent, something like this. God's already killed some of them because they rebelled during the Lord's Supper at some point in time. And, he's, and he loves them. He loves them. Kind of like you, if you have a child or a grandchild that you know are making wrong decisions and you just stay up at night thinking about all these wrong decisions they're made, uh, you, you, just, you don't want them to go down that road because you love them. And he's... That's his concern here, here. So, but it's important here uh, that the standard for legitimacy of church leadership is notice, that, notice this, that Moses said, I mean Moses says, uh, Paul says, Christ who speaks in me. That's the standard. Christ wasn't speaking through the false teachers. Christ wasn't speaking through Mora, uh, uh, Korah. He wasn't speaking through Miriam. He was speaking through Paul. He was speaking through Moses. So that's the standard that you, as members of the congregation, when you're looking at your church officers, the authority within this church, is Christ speaking with them? Well, how do you know if Christ is speaking with them? Well, Christ gave us a book. <laughs> and if the things that we're, if we're doing things that are not in according to Scripture or based upon the reasonableness of the, the Scriptures, then you do need to challenge us. And be concerned about. This is, you know, one of the challenges, I was talking to one of the elders, said one of the problems with Paul defending his ministry as I'm preaching this, it almost sounds self-serving. You know, a few weeks ago, you remember the sermon about um, 
uh, the, the, the Corinthians being stingy and Paul uh, uh, had the right to a salary, but he didn't take his salary because he got the money from other churches because he didn't want to offend the Corinthians and be a stumbling block and stuff like that. And, you know, I thought I did a great job of trying to explain that and, and this kind of thing. Uh, and uh, I didn't think I necessarily did a great. I thought the Lord did a great job. Uh, so I'm walking out here, and one of the young people in our church came up and said, well, you spent 40 minutes saying why you would need a salary increase. I'm like, oh, my. <laughs> yeah, now, he was joking. I hope he was joking. So there is this, you know, there's this temptation to pull the punch a little bit here. But Paul doesn't pull the punch. Paul is, I am called by God. I am a legitimate apostle. These false teachers are not. You run them out of town or I am. Because I'm coming back to Corinth. And I'm not going to be happy when I get there. And <laughs> the other thing is, is that, that there are times when you do need to confront leadership, right? I mean, some of us have come from churches where leadership wasn't confronted and it caused problems, right? Where church discipline was not uh, adhered to. There was a lack of accountability. Uh, some of us have been, you know, we've seen these churches with these rock star preachers who just seem to be above uh, accountability and that sort of thing. Well, remember, this same apostle who is now demanding that the Corinthians submit to his authority because he's called of God, who did he confront publicly? The apostle Peter. You remember that? He tells that story in Galatians. Peter had gotten to be a man pleaser. He decided he liked to hang out with the Jews and all this old racism came back up and he started to keep his uh, uh, a distance from the, from the, from the Gentiles. He started to kind of adopt this idea that uh, you need to be uh, uh, grace plus work salvation. Peter, almost, Peter, wonderful, wonderful Peter, almost destroyed the church. Almost destroyed the church if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. Peter stood condemned because he was opposed to the grace that is taught in Holy Scripture. He had forgotten that and had fallen back into Jewish custom, what he grew up with. Even Jewish racism, what he grew up with. And Paul confronts him. Galatians 2, Paul says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. How do we know he stands condemned? Because he's against Holy Scripture. So you actually have a responsibility to challenge authority when it's opposed to, to Holy Scripture. When the lifestyle is in, inappropriate, when there's immorality or scandal involved, or even, even incompetence. But you do it the right way. You don't do it by slandering and picking like what the Corinthians are doing. Uh, you, 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 you follow the principles that we taught last week in uh, Matthew chapter 18. Now we see here the evidence of ambassadorship is provided in uh, 3b through 4. And who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you? For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we are also weak in him, yet we'll live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Some of these clauses are a little confusing, so let me kind of help you here. He says here, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. Again, the, the, the culture at large just despised weakness. Uh, like some of the prosperity theology today, that if you're going through trials and tribulations and suffering and financial woes and, uh, and, and pain or, and, uh, and health problems or anything, it must be because you don't have enough faith, Okay. So they said the same kind of thing. Paul's been through all these persecutions. His body's covered with scars. He's not, a, he's not a, a, a super manipulative speaker like we are. There must be something wrong with him. David Garland says, The meekness and gentleness were not virtues in the Corinthian culture marked by pitched battles for social supremacy 
over others. Ruthlessly bludgeoning one's social rivals was the rule. The Corinthians, therefore, may have expected some miracle of power from Paul against adversaries who were so boldly opposed, opposed him. They may have thought that an apostle would be a lot tougher, louder, bolder, and more fiery. These folks, this Peyton place, it's just backstabbing drama all day long. And here comes the humble, godly Paul, and they don't know what to do with him. He's just so different. But if he caves, they're never going to learn the, never going to learn the lesson. So they mistook his humility and his many trials uh, for weakness uh, in character as well. And they said they want even more proof, even though he's given proof. But this principle is sound uh, that if he is called by God and he is God's ambassador, God's apostle, uh, God's church officer, which Trost is called by God, then, then, then if, unless he's in sin, he is speaking from God. 1 Thessalonians 7, 8, uh, 7, I'm sorry, 4, 7 through 8, Paul says this, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. So he, rejects the, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. He says, but you're mighty in you. Uh, Kistemaker says this, by doubting Paul and the divine message he delivers, they face a powerful Christ. He's warning them. It's the same God, the same God that opened up the earth and got killed Korah and gave Miriam leprosy. He's the same God. And, and you're flirting with disaster. And if you, this church fails, the gospel mission to Europe might fail. He's very serious about this. And he goes on to say, of course, this wonderful truth that he was crucified because of weakness. Christ had a feeble human nature just like ours, but he also had a powerful, omnipotent uh, divine nature as well. The interesting thing that they just didn't seem to understand is humility takes effort. It's not natural. It's not natural. I mean, and we have the, the sweetest, most wonderful children in the planet in that nursery over there. But you're probably not going to walk in on that nursery. One of the two-year-old says, you know, why don't you take my cracker? I've had enough time with this toy. Would you like some time with that? It's just probably not going to happen, Right. What you're going to hear a lot of is mine, okay? Probably not with our kids. They are above average. But, uh, but that's the stand, right? But we're the same way, right? We're just always vying for position. We're aggressive about pursuing our own interests. Christ has called you to be different. But it takes a lot of effort to be humble, I love Philippians chapter 2 that speaks of this idea of Christ and weakness and Christ and glory. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, you have a hard time sometimes being humble, putting other people's first, person's people first, and you think that's kind of maybe beneath you, perhaps, and everything. God became a baby. I'm sure that you will never have to humiliate yourself to that level, to that degree. No one will. But ask, your, ask yourself this question. Is it easier to be humble or to be proud? Is it easier to be selfless or selfish? If you need some help, let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, where Paul, 
Peter goes through these, uh, these principles that if you keep them, you will not doubt your salvation. Help you have assurance of salvation. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent prophecies, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that what you want? You want to, be a, you want to have that divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence, you see that sense of effort? In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How easy is self-control? How easy is knowledge? Jack just spent an entire week in Charlotte gaining knowledge. You know, we, we have, you, have, you have worn yourself out trying to get knowledge in order to achieve the goals that you want to have in life. How easy is brotherly kindness at times? How easy is love at times? All of these things take effort. So Paul actually was much stronger than these false teachers because of his humility, because of his weakness. And frankly, all of us probably would have given up on the Corinthians by this time, and he just stays in the fight. He knows what's at stake here. And of course, he gives this great contrast. Here's Christ being uh, humiliating himself, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. But he says, but he lives because of the power of God. Both the cross and the resurrection demonstrate God's power. So Philippians goes on to say, For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Charles Hodge, the great Princeton theologian, says this, the, the life which the apostle possessed and manifested being delivered from Christ was proof that Christ still lived. The very things the false teachers are actually accusing Paul of to discredit him are actually demonstrations of the fact that he is an ambassador of Christ, that he is a true apostle. But the principle here is murmuring against God's appointed leader is murmuring against God himself. Moses said that to Korah in Numbers 16, 11. Therefore, you and your company are gathered together against the Lord. The, the, the Corinthians have not repented to the point of being in danger. Of being in danger. And he says, for we also are weak in him. Paul experienced the same paradox of weakness and strength that we see in Jesus Christ. You know, he tells us in Galatians 2.20, which, which will be a great life verse for every one of us. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, it's, uh, if we could just go back 2,000 years We've gotten so used to Christianity. Our, our, the principles of our nation, of Western Europe, were formed based on the principles of Christianity. But if we could just go back two years and just see that the principle there was Mike makes right. If you can brutalize people and get away with it, do it. If you can build your economy by conquering other people and stealing their stuff and stealing their stuff and selling them off as slaves, do it. But with a, a whole new paradigm came to play with Christianity. There's power in weakness. Humility is a virtue. 
This was radical. And the Corinthians regret, regrettably don't seem to be learning the lesson here. To be crucified with Christ that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That's what we want. To be so associated with the humiliation of Christ that we will be walk in the exaltation of Christ. And one of the, the issues that's going on here, of course, is the attacking the, the leadership that, that should, they should be submitting themselves to. One commentator says this, The Lord of the, church, uh, of the church delegates the authority of Scripture to the leaders of the church. It is important to remember that their authority does not derive from the force of their personality, their communication skills, their personal charisma, their ordination, or their education. Uh, nor does an ecclesiastical hierarchy or denomination, even a church, grant their authority to them. Pastors and elders also do not derive their authority from any spiritual experience they allegedly have. The sole source of authority for all who teach and preach is the word of God. That's our standard. That's why you have to know the word. Because our, the authority of this church has to be, is bound to keep that word. And when we fail... That needs to be brought out. So he was trying to spare them the judgment that he knows is coming their way if they don't repent. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, it's time for the judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You know, so God is serious about being honored and honoring his ambassadors himself. I mean, we see that, right? Let me give you another Old Testament example. Can, can authority itself blow it? <laughs> can those in church leadership actually make this same mistake? Obviously, some in Corinth were because these, these false teachers wouldn't be, uh, be uh, succeeding if they didn't have some of the leadership behind them. Well, let me go to one more Old Testament example in Leviticus chapter 10. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans. These are their priests uh, with, with Aaron. Sons of Aaron's. And after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. So you had two priests, two people in authority ignoring God's worship the way he said he wanted to be worshipped and an offering strange fire. I'm not sure what that is. It's some sort of maybe man-made style of worship that God didn't command. And uh, God struck him dead. Now, God doesn't normally do that. If God, if God, if God struck pastors who blow it dead, <laughs> I wouldn't be standing before you. But when God's beginning a new program, you see this kind of severity in judgment one time because he knows the trajectory. If they don't get it right from the beginning, they're going to miss it from the beginning. Paul sees that in Corinth. You saw that in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, uh, lying about how much they're giving to the church, you know, struck dead. Korah, they're, that's the, they're, they're on that, the wilderness wandering. He strikes them dead. You saw that with uh, uh, Achan, the, uh, uh, you know, with uh, his family being killed because he stole the gold of Shinar. Uh, from from uh, Jericho. So sometimes it's weird, but, but those kind of things, let's learn from their example, right? Let's learn from their example. But the fact is, this situation, this isn't somebody who's trying to usurp the leaders. This is a leader who's insulting God, 
who's using his position and, and not, not obeying the way the Lord said that he should be worshipped. So this is kind of heavy stuff, right? But as Augustine said, it's better to love even with the accompaniment of severity than to mislead by excess of lenience. And one of the problems we have is that, especially Southerners, we just, we just want to be so friendly and liked and everything. Sometimes we just don't address some of the hard issues that need to be, uh, need to be addressed. And Paul's willing to do that. And I thank you that you're willing to look at the Word of God and kind of take an account of how we are in our church and how you are as an individual as you're considering this itself. Now, next week, we're going to move on, Lord willing, to the next verse here. But this verse is kind of between these, uh, these kind of principles that I'm coming uh, to, to discipline you. But then in verse 5, he says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So there's a challenge to all the Corinthian church members. You need to ask yourself a question. If you keep behaving this way, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? That's part of church discipline too, right? That's why when someone doesn't repent, they could end up being excommunicated. The church is basically saying, you're just not acting like a Christian, so we have to assume you're not. And one of the best ways to test yourself is to see how willing you are to submit to the authority that God has given over you. And you have a responsibility to keep that authority accountable as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, that... uh, of, of the hard things of Scripture as well as the sweet things. We thank you, God, that when we think of our Christ, who is our prophet and our priest and our king, what does a king do? A king fights battles. A king carries weapons. A king defends his kingdom. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to always be on the right side of the line when our king is fighting. And if there be an error in us and a bad place in our heart, uh, I pray that you'd expose that. Some, some of us have a bent against authority. And, uh, and it, it's, it's not healthy in many ways, a mistrust of authority, because we've been hurt. We recognize the fact that all authority, including church authority, is deeply, deeply flawed. But it is our great prayer, God, that you would raise up men who would be men of God, who are above reproach, Uh, that are called of God into their positions, and that we would always have church authority that's worthy to submit to because they're people that are humble, like Moses and like Paul. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.